May 16th, 2019. I'm Ron Scharf. I'm Avi Kaufman. And this is Accent Insights. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to talk about 39 Columbia Street, Unit 2. This is a gorgeous four-bedroom, three-and-a-half bathroom, almost 2,800-square-foot home, renovated, got rehabbed in 2017, and it's listed for just under $2 million. That's right. And um, as you said, Avi, this is a gut rehab. And I remember when this house was, was in its older condition, when it went on the market uh, a year, a year and a half before it came back, it rehabbed. And there was a feeding frenzy around it. it was, there was a lot of excitement, mostly because big, nice big house, great neighborhood. People love that neighborhood. Columbia Park around the block. Um, it's a little bit of an enclave. You've got Columbia Street and Kenwood uh, and, uh, and Verndale, and they all kind of lead into that park. And it's very sweet neighborhood, very family oriented. So the, the developers were out in force. I was there. Um, it, it was listed for one six, it sold for one eight. For the whole house, that's for the whole house, just to clarify. Correct. As a two family. Um, and the developer who wound up winning, um, is, is the same developer who, who just finished the project, uh, on Winthrop that we've been talking about where both units are under agreement. She calls herself Urban S. Uh, she is a little bit different than most of the developers in Brookline. She is super, super modern and European in her design. Um, and that makes this a very unique offering. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, like you said, in the neighborhood, I sort of think of this neighborhood almost as like an island, uh, because it's a lot of one way streets and just off Harvard Street, the unit itself, it's very modern, uh, super open floor plan, uh, tons of light from all four sides. Uh, You can really, really see it. It almost has like a European feel to it. And uh, it's just a gorgeous place. It sold uh, when this unit was brand new. It was listed for 1.885 and sold for 1.825. That was 2017, uh, early 2017. So now, you know, two years later, uh, it's listed for just under 2 million. Now, Ron, you have some experience with uh, the unit downstairs that sold not too long ago, unit one in the same house. And uh, yeah, I think this would be a good segue. We can talk a little bit about soundproofing and what it means to live in a shared house. That's right. I do. Uh, I had some lovely, lovely buyers who bought the unit downstairs. That unit downstairs had some trouble selling. And, you know, I don't know this for a fact, but I do think it had to do with the sound transmission in this house. Every time I went in there and we were there a lot. Um, you could hear a lot of noise from the upstairs unit had partially to do with the open floor plan. So there was no sort of uh, nothing absorbing the noise up there. And just a lot of new construction can have this problem. Ordinarily with a new construction to family situation like this, you don't hear it when you go in because they put both units on at the same time. So they're not occupied. This one, for some reason, the people bought the upstairs unit, the one that's on the market now, unit two before they put the other one on the market. So by the time the other one came on the market, there were people upstairs and it was notable when you came in. That turned into an opportunity for my buyers because the unit had been sitting on the market for quite a while and they were able to negotiate both a favorable price and quite a good deal of soundproofing to be done. So in the new construction, um, the the builder came back and I know the builder because I've worked with him and I actually taught him how to soundproof. And uh, he came back and he did all the tricks we've done. And the, the house has substantially improved since then. Yeah. And something to understand is there's no soundproofing in a house like this that's going to be 100%. If you're living in a, a frame-built house like this, there's going to be some transmission of sound. That's just part of urban living. Uh, now, there are differences. There are a lot of things you can do to cut it down quite a bit, which is what your buyers did. But, you know, the expectation on a shared house uh, should be that you're going to hear some sound and you have to understand what your own 
comfort level with that is. I used to live in a, a house just down the street from this, uh, or an apartment in Kelton Street, and it was great. It was they had these thick concrete floors. Amazing sound uh, barriers, even between the units on the same floor. The apartment next to us used to have these large parties, and I wouldn't even know about it, except, you know, they never invited me. I didn't. But, uh, <laughs> Maybe if this uh, yeah, I would never... have been worse, they would have had to invite you. I know. I know. <laughs> but now I live in like this gorgeous triple decker in Coolidge Corner on Brown Street. I live on the first floor, and there's, you know, I hear the neighbors above. In fact, even when the people on the second floor are away, I still hear sound sometimes from the third floor because it's not just the ceilings. But you know what? It doesn't bother us. We're comfortable with that. My kids sleep through the night regardless. And uh, so, you know, it, it has to do with what you're used to and what you can put up with. Right. And and I think more importantly, or as importantly, it really is a crapshoot. You don't know when you're looking at a place what it's going to be like. A lot of it has to do with the construction of the house. Um, you know, sound will transmit through a beam and, you know, across a a joist and down another beam and it just vibrates and continues. Um, another thing to know is that there are two different types of sound. There's the high frequency sounds, that's voices um, and things like that, laughing, sneezing. Um, and, and then there's the low frequency sounds, the impact noises. The high frequency sounds are much, much easier to block. Um, the low frequency sounds much harder to block. And, and again, some types of construction, the, the building we lived in on Stanton Road, which Avi, you and I have talked about because there have been some on the market recently. Um, when we first moved to Brookline, it was great for sound transmission. We had small children and the people down below us never said a word. And we've asked, we asked them. Then we moved to 425 Washington Street, which is a brick building, very solid. And the sound transmission was quite substantial. So it is something that it's very hard to know about if you're, if you're buying, you know, it seems to happen more in the new construction, I think because the new style of building has the house more connected together and that aids in the transmission unless you decouple things and you add weight and mass in various places. So, you know, if, if it is a concern, if you're moving from the suburbs or if you're, you know, if you're very sensitive, you should try and go back um, and, and get showings when other people might be there because you may hear something that, you know, you wouldn't until you otherwise closed on a place and you don't want an uncomfortable surprise. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I've certainly had showings before for lower units where, you know, I've run into someone from the upper unit, maybe a nanny or someone. And I said, Oh, so, so uh, how do you like living here? And I noticed you were out of the house. And, and like, oh, yeah, yeah. The people downstairs asked us to be out while you were here. So <laughs> you have to be a little bit savvy about it. But, you know, it's always a trade off too. like the, um, yeah, the advantage of being on uh, the first floor, of course, is uh, easier entry, fewer stairs. And uh, on the upper levels, the advantages are usually uh, no one walking above you and uh, generally more light. It's true. But, uh, you know, just to be clear, being on the upper floor is not a guarantee that low frequency vibrations don't come up. The same way they come down, they can come up. So, you know, you shouldn't think that just because there's no one above you, you're not going to hear someone. Um, but it is generally a little bit better. You know, of course, the other side of that is, look, it's Brookline. It's a high density area. When neighbors are nice to each other, it's delightful. Uh, but that is a trade off that you make. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it, even if the units are side by side, it's no guarantee either. Instead of being one on top of the other, even if they're side by side, uh, sometimes there's, there's transmission between. Maybe the neighbor has their TV right up against the wall and uh, you can still hear it. That's right. That's right. So, you know, especially in new construction, if you're, if you're the first one looking at a unit, ask, get the details of the soundproofing from the developer. If they don't have any to give you, or if they say, oh, we did everything to code, 
it might be a red flag because the code doesn't require all that much. And it is, it is a skill that you have to learn. It's very hard to get it right. And so you want to know that you're dealing with someone who can, if it's important to you. Yeah. So Ron, um, can you give us some examples of the types of things that people can do for soundproofing? Sure. So by code, you have to have two layers of drywall in between dwelling units. So that's good. But there is there is a type of drywall that is much denser than standard called quiet rock. Um, if you're using quiet rock, you're getting a much better result. There's also something called green glue that you can use to put in between the layers of drywall that creates a little bit of air and that gives a, a place for the sound to kind of bounce around and dissipate a little bit. Um, we also decouple walls from, from ceilings. So that really the right way to do this is we decouple the walls from the, from the beams and the joists. So we use clips and channels to take the wall. It's, instead of nailing the drywall straight against the, um, all the beams, we put these clips and channels that have a vibration reduction mechanism in them. Uh, so that's a good thing. And then you make sure that your ceilings and your walls aren't touching each other. So if you, if you have some vibration in one of them, it doesn't translate to the other. And what that means is you leave a tiny little gap in between your ceilings and your walls or between your wall and your other wall when you hit a 90 degree point and you fill it in with something called acoustical caulk which you know is flexible and allows these things to move without moving each other. So lots of different tricks to do. Many people don't do all of them. Many developers don't do any of them. So it is something that you can ask. Absolutely. Well, this has been fascinating. I think that this is just one of those topics that people deal with, but don't really know uh, what goes into it. Um, and, and sometimes it's good to know how the sausage is made, so to speak. So uh, thank you everyone for, for joining us this week. Uh, we hope you'll join us next week. If you have other questions that you'd like us to, to discuss, please email us. We're info at accentbrookline.com. Until then, I'm Ron Scharf. I'm Avi Kaufman. Thank you for listening.